In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Volkelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 369. That's right. 69. Uh, oh, <laughs> <Chad>. <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw in one of my favorite quotes right now. Okay, wait. If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! Oh, anyways, um, so um, we uh, we're here to talk about San Diego Comic Con. Uh, there was a lot uh, out of San Diego, just like there is every year. But Mark and I chose the stuff that we wanted to talk about, and uh, that's what we decided to hit up. So we're gonna we're gonna try and break it down by sort of chunks. Uh, I guess we're gonna start off with like the just the, the comics, comics side of things, right? I think that sounds like a plan, Chad. All right, so there's some actual specific stuff I want to get into, um, but just for the sake of conversation, that way that I'm not, you know, just going off of a list of the comic stuff that interested me. Um, there are two things, um, both involving Dan DeDio, uh, one of the publishers of DC, uh, or you know, alongside of uh, Jim Lee. Um, and there was a DC Nation panel and a DC Meet the Publishers panel, two different sort of things. And in the DC Meet the Publishers panel, and this is a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this quote uh, direct from one of the articles we found online. Uh, Dan DiDio says the following. He says, we do these facsimile editions where we reprint older issues of comics, including all the old ads and stuff. And in some cases, these are selling more than the new comics with these characters. People are more interested in buying the stories from 30 or 40 years ago than the contemporary stories. And that's a failure on us. Now, I'm going to stop the quote there. There's more there. If we were just to take that, I'd agree with him. Then he says the following right after this. We should be focused on moving things forward, always pushing the boundaries and finding new stories to tell. That's how we'll survive and grow this industry. And that's where he lost me. <laughs> um, because, because now don't get me wrong. Um, this is this is a fact of business in the modern era, especially as you compete with the rise of technology. Now, the rise of technology can be anything. Uh, for for print mediums, it can be the rise of digital uh, or you know streaming services. It can be it, it, really anything. Um, 
So you do have to push the boundaries. You do have to move things forward. I agree with you on that. And another sort of aspect I want to throw into this, I don't want to get into the whole story. I've told it on the show several times in the past. The one time I went to New York Comic Con, I met and spent time with Dan DeDio one-on-one. He was part of like a small group that I was a I was with at New York Comic Con for maybe 45 minutes to an hour. We were just sort of in the same little group of five together kind of walking through New York Comic Con. It was weird. It was strange how that happened, but it happened, and I got to spend some one-on-one time with Dan Adil. Dude is a great guy. He's funny. He's, you know, all I, I, I feel like I'm like trying to set up things and just say you should respect him. A lot of the reason I say this is because when you talk about Dan Deal in relation to the comics industry, a lot of people see Dan as this just big figure, and you know he's just you know he's out there trying to ruin the comics, or he's you know he's stuck in the '90s and everything's dark and villainous, and you know whatever they they try to put on Dan. And, you know, regardless of the type of man he is as a human being, you could still be right in that opinion. But they like to villainize Dan, and I don't like to go that particularly far just because I've met the man and spent time with him, and he is a comics fan. Um, That being said, I don't – that doesn't mean I have to agree with everything the man says. And – Sure, it does it? nowadays, Chad. What's wrong? With <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I feel like- yeah, it's it's all or nothing. Haven't you figured it out yet? You can never have a differing opinion. You follow somebody, <laughs> you have to follow them, or then, or then, why follow them if you disagree? <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. To, to, to me, now maybe you know, just like in any other scenario, when you're talking out loud at a group, maybe you can, there, there's context you forgot to add or you, but whatever, but just taking the quote on face value to me, he's missing the point. If the comics from 30 or 40 years ago aren't selling, you're right. It is a failure on you based on what you're doing now, but the solution isn't to keep pushing forward. And essentially to me, here's, here's what this says to me. The first half of this tells me, Hey, we recognize a problem. Um, something's going on. The old stuff is selling better than the new stuff. Uh, that's a failure on us. Okay, that makes sense. But then the next part of it almost sounds like you're blaming the fans for liking the old stuff. We should be focused on moving things forward, always pushing the boundaries and finding new stories to tell. That's how we'll survive and grow this industry. Almost like he's telling the people in that panel room, okay, great, you love this old stuff, but come on, guys, keep up with us. We're going to keep pushing forward and pushing the boundaries. Like he's blaming the fans and the people buying this old stuff for liking the old stuff. Now, I don't think that's what he's exactly trying to say, but that's how it reads, and that bothers me because the, the, the classic stuff, if, if you're seeing the classic stuff in a lot of ways outsell the new stuff, then you're right. That's a failure on your – but why is the classic stuff outselling you? Because we don't like the new stuff. If we don't like the new stuff, then stop keep stop continuing to try and push it on us with – the multiple Joker titles, the dark multiverse crap again and again and again and again and again. Like, stop trying to darken the DCU because it's not your Dark Knight Returns, uh, you know, dark and dank and, you know, whatever Watchmen era DC that's 
outselling your current stuff. It's your classic, happy, awesome multiverse, just holy shit, we're in the DC multiverse and look at the sheer breadth of characters and scope of this thing that we're just having fun in. That's what's outselling you right now. So it seems like he's missing the point there. I, I just, I, I, I kind of wanted to open this up a bit because I feel like you and I can have a little bit more of a unique discussion on this without just going straight into, yeah, Dan DeDio needs to step down. And I, to an extent, <laughs> when that conversation comes up, I kind of, I can sometimes agree with it depending on what happens. Depending on what Dan says, there are times when I just sort of forget that I met the man in person and go, what the is coming out of your mouth right now, Dan? But but I, I, I do always take that step back. So um, I'm rambling. Um, what, do you, what do you think of, of this quote here? If you really want him out, Chad, you could have said during your time together he touched you inappropriately. <laughs> we know how that goes these days. <laughs> Hashtag Chad me too. No, like, <laughs> okay, all kidding aside, and yes, that's what it was. Um, and actually, this is I, this kind of ties into our last episode a little bit, how we ended the last episode, because arguably part of the reason why maybe the older stuff people are reading more is because it's more accessible. It's because you don't need to have all this backstory, and you don't need to have like. You need to know what happened in these fifty-five different stories, and these, or, or there's like this five, this, the last five years of books, or all these fifty-five crossovers into different things, and these one event after another. It's like, no, you just basically need to, you. You can like pick up a Green Lantern story, pick up a Wonder Woman story, a Superman story, and you can pretty much understand it just by reading it, even if it's a character that was had appeared before as, as a villain, because Lord knows on those issues they would tend to tell you when that villain last appeared anyway. <laughs> So part of it, I think, is an, an accessibility question. Again, uh, I do agree it is a little contradictory when you're – and it's like uh, when the stories from 30 or 40 years ago, people tend to be able to – are more interested in to get a ba- basically like a baseline of, of what a character is, what a character – you know, without having to – like I said, to do all this research, just to get a basic understanding of what their power set is, who they are, even if you knew nothing about them. And nowadays, it's a jumping-on point. It, 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 it isn't as easy. There's there's no doubt about that. But I agree with what you're saying is that there's a lot of – and I use crap generically here, even though some of it obviously can be – the true meaning of it can be applied – there's a lot of crap out there now that does not appeal to many people, and it doesn't mean that it might sell a little bit, And but there are many storylines that are very, very either difficult to follow or just very unpopular that we have to walk through, like the Spencer run on what and Captain America and things like that, that there's lots of things that we get thrust upon us that completely contradicts maybe what the character has always stood for or what they've done. I think that and that I think that factors in too. There's many storylines people don't like, and we can talk about a little bit of that when we get when we get to the, the MCU panel, uh, the movie stuff, too, because that fact that potentially factors in there too. But I, I agree. I think I do get I do get I do get his point. But if he but if he re- but then again also it, it's if he really thinks that in a way the facsimile editions are getting in the way of people jumping onto new stuff of it's kind of like hurting them helping them get sales but hurting them grow the industry then probably they should be cutting back on the facsimile editions then right <laughs> i mean 
Make, at least make make it harder for people to have to you know go back and read the old stories. Then, if you think that's actually being counterproductive. Yeah, I'm gonna have to start finding these facsimile editions because I do buy like the reprints of stuff. Like for instance, um, they uh, I don't want to say recently because when it term when it comes to a trade paperback. When it appears in previews and when it's actually in print, it can be anywhere from a couple of months to like a half a year, a year full. But recently, uh, they came out with a Hawk and Dove, the Silver Age trade paperback reprint. Man, I scooped that up like, like immediately. Uh, and just because like I wanted to see, you know, that stuff, those don't have the, the, the ads and stuff that he's talking about. Um, so I'm gonna have to track some of these facsimile editions of things down, but, um, Another thing, like, uh, I can't find it anywhere. There was supposed to be uh, an Adam Strange Silver Age reprint in, in the same sort of design and, and style of the Hawk and Dove one. Um, they also recently did a Doom Patrol one. The Doom Patrol one you can still find pretty easily. Find that Adam Strange one anywhere. So, I mean, it's, it's out of print on Amazon. Like, I mean, that's that's crazy that a relatively recent trade paperback of DC Comics is out of print. It that's how it sold everywhere, and you can't find it. And that's a of Silver Age content. So that's 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 very telling. Um, and, and I I do I kind of want to pick up your your torch there and run with it when you mention accessibility. Because there's there's several things I, I kind of want to bring up from the DC Nation pa- panel, and uh, I'm pulling this uh, straight from one of the articles. Um, the article itself says he took to the he being Dan DeDio, he took to the crowd early to ask why people were here and what they wanted from DC, admitting, "quote I'm not sure what the business is about anymore." Unquote. Citing complaints about variant covers or sales manipulations in a changing market, but he said the goal at DC is to build up the DC world in a new way that taps into the energy of DC's characters, popularity in film, TV, and beyond. But um, the quote, I'm not sure what the business is about anymore, from the publisher of DC Comics, is a bit disconcerting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of like, like Jim, Jim, uh, Jim from Taxi being in charge of DC Comics. It's like, <laughs> now I, I'm, I'm prepared to give him some leeway because, like we said, like it said earlier, when it comes to the emergence of technology and the evolution of things going forward, the the attempt to solve the problem of print media, whether that be newspapers, books, comics, magazines, whatever, the attempt to solve that in this digital age has been an ongoing debate for years and years and years, and nobody seems to have the 100% right answer. So to feel as a publisher completely overwhelmed by that, I could see you in a stressful moment saying, I'm not sure what the business is about anymore uh, with relation specifically to that. But again, when I read the quote and I'm not seeing the panel, you know, uncut and just watching it as is and not seeing the context of it, that's disconcerting. Yeah, I I would say so. I think it's uh, 
I think that's probably not. That's one of those one of those honest like honest off the cuff comments that probably you 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 regret. I mean, you do get you do get brownie points for being honest, and I think that in in this day in this day and age that's that's kind of rare upon itself. But it's not from a from somebody who's in that kind of leadership position. That's that's really not what you what you want to hear. <laughs> it's like we're in a crisis. What are we gonna do, Mr. President? I don't know. <laughs> Peace the hell out of me. <laughs> now you, you you had said accessibility, and this is part of the reason I wanted to bring up this other piece. Um, within um, this DC Nation panel, there were a couple of different creators that had come on, uh, and one of them is the going to be the the new writer for the um, Batgirl series. Um. And just to quote here, it says that Batgirl meeting a new villain of her own is the only is only the tip of the iceberg for Cecile Castellucci's run. And the writer said she's still trying to figure out how working in the main superhero line works. Now, this is a quote from Cecile. This is on the panel in front of Dan himself. She says, (laughs) (laughs) she says, this is this is all a quote. She says, I'm coming in for the first time in the DCU, and I'm coming in on a crossover event. I'm on Year of the Villain, and I have this very specific thing I'm trying to do. But then there are all these little pocket things. Pieces are taken off the table, and I'm given a direction. And then things keep getting taken, she laughed. It makes it very difficult because when you're in a shared universe and there are these moving pieces, I mean, obviously Batgirl is a big character, but she's not an engine that drives these other stories. But everyone wants to use her in different ways. And when you're the writer of that character, you've got to manage it and put the puzzle pieces together. On one hand, as a writing, it's, as a writer, it's fascinating to do. But on the other hand, it's like, oh, my God, this is really hard. Now, we've interviewed a lot of people. And I think one of the instances that will come readily to both you and I, your, your and I's mind is when we spoke with Ron Mars. And when we asked Ron about working in the DCU, and he says, like, look, it's just a fact of the business. It's, it's, it's DC's sandbox, and when you're in the sandbox, you have to play with the characters and leave them in the sandbox when you, when you walk out. You have to adhere to the rules of the sandbox. So taking you know, Ron's point of view on that and applying to that, this is that to this. This is not necessarily um, um, a point that I'm trying to degrade DC for because this is something that's been going on for decades. When there's an event, you know, something, you know, everybody's got to play ball. But at the same time, it's it's it was it was sort of very telling that this was happening in front of Dan <laughs> during this DC Nation panel in front of the event. This DC Nation with this new writer, who's one of the things, <laughs> it's it's her first opportunity on the on the big stage to really talk about her new series and her time writing this character. And what is she? What is one of the first things she talks about? The frustration of working around an event. Which makes sense, and we all—I mean, it doesn't surprise us. We've 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 heard we've heard other things before, and. It's pretty common. I mean, we, we remember you know, how Van Jensen, how a lot of his the stuff he was building on on Green Lantern Corps got completely cut off at the knees when they were doing convergence and other things. And we all and we from talking to Robert Venditti, we know that you know certain certain characters and certain and certain decisions were basically thrust upon him by editorial, not necessarily to Green Lantern editorial, DC editorial potentially. So it's. 
it's not surprising. Again, it's probably one of, it's one of those one of those moments of honesty that again probably is interesting from the you know from the fans looking having that inside look, but it's probably again something you would kind of wish you uh, maybe had phrased things a tad differently. Hmm. Uh, before we leave the DC bandwagon uh, behind, I wanted to, in terms of the comics, I did want to say it was mentioned as an offshoot. There was no expansion on it, um, but there will be some more new Elseworlds coming in the fall of this year. That was uh, spoken about in this panel. Um, is that independent of the Tales of the Multiverse, of the Dark Multiverse, or is that what you meant? Uh, they didn't expand on it any further than saying there, that there will be some new Elseworlds coming in the fall. So they didn't specifically say it was that or that it wasn't that. So it's uh, it could be, but that's what they said. Um, before we move over to the Marvel comics, I did want to talk about one image book called the uh, Undiscovered, just called Undiscovered Country. Have you heard about this? No, but I did. I, I did. Click on the link, but I did not. I did not hear about this previously. So this is written by. Uh, this is over at Image Comics. Uh, it's written by Scott Snyder and Charles Soule. Um, Charles Soule, sorry. Uh, it's it's actually Soule, um, and uh, it'll start coming out in November. Called the Undiscovered Country, uh, and the Undiscovered Country was sort of announced, like sort of right before San Diego. Um, but it still sort of counts because they elaborated on it a bit more. So as a quote from one of the articles I, I had about it, in undiscovered country, uh, readers will journey into an unknown region that was once the United States of America, a land that's become shrouded in mystery and literally walled off from the rest of the world for decades. A small expedition enters the former U.S. in search of a cure to a humanity-ending pandemic. They travel inward and learn the secrets of what America has become, each member seeking their own form of truth in the undiscovered country. So essentially the pitch for this was we followed through on the wall what happens 30 years later if you were to take it in a pseudo-sci-fi way. So that was very interesting. Um, uh, I think uh, Snyder took to the internet and said, okay, you know, yeah, here's all this information we've been putting out on, you know, on various social media about this title, but also think of it as, of its vibe as sort of like a land of the lost sort of thing. Meets Lewis and Clark. Right, right. So I thought that was very interesting. Now, obviously there's some political bents that you can apply to this, but just so, there's, there are very few, not very few, but there, every now and then there are comics that come out that, get me on pitch alone, like without art, without a whole explanation. Just, just give me that sort of, uh, one to two, uh, three sentence little pitch that you're supposed to give publishers whenever you're, you're pitching a, a story. There's very few comics out there that'll, that'll get me on that alone. And this particular one, I was like, Oh, I'm, okay. I'm in. And admittedly a little bit of it was because, Oh really? Scott Snyder and Charles soul. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that's a, that's a, I mean, in terms of writing quality and art quality, and I'm I'm in on the pitch. Uh, that sounds kind of cool. What, did you did you hear about this or think anything of it? Again, if you actually read, if you do read the pitch, they don't they now again based on especially based on the environment that we live in right now, that mm-hmm. it's real easy to read into. 
that they're, mm. they're they're trying to say, oh, it's like, but even though it's obviously it's like building a wall, it's like building the quote unquote wall and then taking it to like to the umpteenth degree exponentially since mm-hmm. just. But they're to be fair, be trying to be fair, even though as soon as you read the thing of walling themselves off, it's kind of hard not to think about okay, they're going to be making some political statement here. They don't in their actual pitch, they don't they they do not make it clear that this is a byproduct of. We built the wall for Mexico, and then this is what, and, and then we kept going, and blah, now that might be in the that might actually be in the series, <laughs> but that's not in the pitch. So they're just mm. making it sound like because they purpose they purposely say the United States has walled itself off from the world for apparently no reason, without without a reason. So 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 based on this concept, it isn't just that we're trying to keep people out, not necessarily. Maybe we're trying to keep something in. But either way, the point is that you know we nobody the world doesn't really know why we're doing what we're doing. So that does kind of, I think, takes away a little bit of the, of the potential political pushback right. to that. Not necessarily. It depends how it's handled. But but I think the way they're setting it up, giving giving them as much credit as possible, it's trying to diffuse that to make it seem like oh god, here we go again, uh, for the people who were naturally react that way. Conceptually, it sounds interesting. I don't know if I'm going to check it out or anything. I, but it, it is it is an it is a an interesting concept. Just like you could also read into it's an interesting concept that pretty much the world says, okay, do what you want to do until <laughs> until there's this massive pandemic in the world, then people come people come calling to the United States, which you could also read into that. If you want to, also based on history, so it's it's an interest. It's interesting. I I think the concept intrigues me. I don't know if it's enough to make me want to read to read the book. At least I might start. Maybe I'll try the first issue. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's something to grab me and keep it going. But it's. But it, it's something I will consider based on based on who is involved and based on the on the uh, synopsis. Hmm. Um, before I move into the three uh, things I wanted to talk about in terms of Marvel Comics, well, was there anything comic related that you wanted to bring up? Or, well, one of the things you one of the things you have mentioned, so we'll we'll wait we'll wait for that. Um, the the Doctor the Doctor Doom series mm-hmm. they're going to be starting that. Now, unfortunately, it'll probably go the way of like how a lot of these villain series go. That they, they, for me, some a lot of these things that I'm not sold on, they have to grab me right away, or else it's real easy for me to walk away. That's what happened with the Magneto book. It just didn't grab me in the first issue, or I think it was just the first issue. Maybe I gave it to a second, but it's like this isn't grabbing me, so I'm moving on. The idea, you know, the 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 pitch, the pitch they gave with Doctor Doom, you know, which is not, you know. Yeah, Doctor Doom being basically a man without a country has been done eight thousand times to death. We know, but the but the way they kind of framed it and him being literally being framed for things that he didn't do and Doctor Doom is an intriguing enough character. It probably is not a. It may very well not be a coincidence timing wise based on what's going to be happening in the MCU that they want to start elevating Doctor Doom back again. Uh, I think I'm going to try that one. There's, 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 there's like there's three there's three books I'm going to add to my poll list for when they come out. I'm going to add Doctor Doom. I'm going to add Flash Forward, and I'm going to add the Tales of the Dark Multiverse and see. I mean, at least I'm going to try a few of those alternate versions of. Uh, obviously, the first one is what the Death of Superman, 
Well, and, and because they have the Eradicator as a key character that was tied to Lois Lane, that obviously intrigues my intrigues me and pulls me in more there. But just the fact that they're going to be taking these big, uh, well-known events in DC history, including Blackest Night, at some point, and they're going to be doing the tales, you know, the dark multiverse twist on it. Now, them them being one shots is not going to really, probably not going to do it justice, really, and from my perspective, but. It conceptually it intrigues me enough where I'm gonna I'm gonna give add those to, three to my poll list and we're gonna see how they go. So probably so probably Doctor Doom and the Tales of the Dark Multiverse were the ones I really I think came out either right before or during Comic Con because I think Flash Forward was already in, was already announced before. So. <clears throat> yeah. Um. So there are three three things Marvel Comics related I wanted to talk about. One very, you know, let me let me let me let me do these two real quickly. So they're just sort of because they're just sort of mentioning that they exist. Um, the Spider Verse number one, um, uh, the the series that is is coming out in October. Uh, it's uh, covered by Wendell uh, Dallet, which is a character designer on Spider Man into the Spider Verse, and we know how much I love Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Uh, it's uh, Miles falls through a portal and Miles finds himself at the center of an adventure across the multiverse that will feature a who's who of creators and characters as, this, as the series spins forward. But what other spider people will Miles meet? You'll have to pick up Spider-Verse number one to find out. Um, obviously, between um, Spider-Verse, uh, Venomverse, uh, Spider-Geddon, all this stuff that's been happening over the past several years... A sort of multiverse um, Spider-Man story is nothing new, but the fact that you know some of the art art team behind uh, Into the Spider-Verse and, and that it's focusing on Miles and sort of kind of in that sort of vein, if not in that universe, 100 um, percent, it just seems like a, a no-brainer to me. I, I'm going to have to pick that up. I I forget. Forgive me. Did you see Into the Spider-Verse? Yes. Okay. 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 And and uh, w- w- did did the, just the concept in, in, intrigue you enough to either go back and check out Spider Verse or would it could intrigue you enough to pick pick up uh, this issue or this series? Because you're you are a Spider Man fan. I am a Spider Man so. fan. I want to watch. I have not watched it again since it's been on Netflix. It's uh, I, I queued it right away, but I will. I'm not lying. I'm I have not. I have, I think I have to be in the right mood for it because again, Miles Morales is not my character. So mm. I like the movie. There were a lot, of, a lot of cool things in it, but I still need to have to be in the right mood to watch it again. I don't think from watching the movie I'd be interested in a fo- in a series that is going to follow up on it. I know a lot of people probably would be, but to me, no, it doesn't do much. Gotcha. Um, speaking of Spider-Man, another thing that you might be interested in. Red Goblin, Red Death Number One by writers Pat Gleason, uh, Rob Fee, and Sean Ryan, with art by Pete Woods, coming in October. Um, it says Norman Osborn first became the Red Goblin in Amazing Spider-Man uh, Number Seven Ninety Eight in Red Goblin, Red Death Number One. Fans will find out just how much mayhem and madness the Red Goblin caused in a special one-shot uh, coming to comic shops in October. <clears throat> Uh, who else did Norman Osborn harm while inhabiting this deadly double disaster? Uh, Gleason, Fee, Ryan, and Woods promised to reveal all. So it's just a one shot. But I mean, I know that 
Um, did they? What issue did they just hit with Amazing Spider-Man? Uh, I don't remember. I can't. They're 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 pretty high up right now, right? Like over a thousand? No, close to a thousand. I'm sure they are. I'll have to look it up. Um, but um, are you familiar with what Red Goblin is? Yeah, I remember. I I got. I picked up like the last issue of that story of that storyline, and I did remember hearing about that the whole Norman Norman Osborn and Carnage combination. Yeah, so Norman Osborn got a hold of Carnage, uh, the symbiote, and the the two became one. And uh, I don't know, man, just on pitch and based on the cover, have you seen the cover image for this? Yes. That I mean, it just looks like a it's all a one shot. So who the hell cares? Um, but like I, I'm I'm down for it. A lot of people think that um because of um uh, the various symbiotes and stuff, I'm down for anything symbiote or that a symbiote fan is down for anything symbiote. Not true. I mean like if Carnage were to possess like Squirrel Girl, I, I mean I wouldn't give a shit. But at the same time when you say someone is already off the rocker as Norman Osborne gets Carnage, it's just like, oh, so double the insanity. What's double insanity look like? <laughs> so it just immediately, immediately becomes this thing that I just I, I have to I have to check into. Uh, so uh, I, I don't know. Are, are, since since you picked up the end, end of that story, did are you going to get this this thing here? I honestly was more interested in it. That was the thing on your list that I was intrigued in, or I was interested in. I was more interested before I. Before before it became perfectly clear that essentially it's a prequel that is just telling you what happened mm. before all that all the stuff that you did see all this is behind the curtain stuff that you didn't you didn't actually get to see all the all the batshit crazy stuff that he did while he was I'm still intrigued by it but again it's I might get it but I'm not as enthusiastic about it as if it were something that was happening now so that that's kind of my take on it it's it's knowing that it's already come and gone which doesn't mean it's not going to come again but it just means that it's not really – it's not as pressing. You know, it's not – it's – I mean, yes, they could throw something in which makes it really makes it really important. But a lot of these things when they when, – like as an example, when they after – they, after they did the Revelation storyline and when they brought back Norman Osborn to begin with and they made it clear he was the one behind the clone saga and having the – faking the – Having the, the results be fake to make Ben Riley appear to be the real Spider-Man and, and Peter be you know Peter was the fake. That when they did like the Osborne journals, I think, which was a one-shot. So even though they had already resol- you know resolved that story arc at least temporarily with with Norman Osborn, this was a, a good one-shot because basically it filled in the gap of what happened from the time Norman supposedly we thought Norman died when he got impaled by his glider and everything and said filling in all the blanks to, to when he reappeared back in. In that storyline, so that was cool. This, this just seems like they're trying to capitalize on something because it looks cool, and they and they and may, again may, they may have plans for them again down the road, but it, it doesn't seem like it's as important a buy from my perspective. No, I mean it's just a one shot. It's it's symbiote related. I'm curious by the concept. I didn't read the OG story. I'm curious enough to go back and try and find it. Um, just to kind of read it as its own thing. Um, but I mean, you know, and Pat Gleason is a writer on it, so why not? Um, 
I don't know. It just it just seemed intriguing to me. Uh, you don't hear a lot of one shots anymore, especially about like, hey, we're going to revisit this one random one off thing from in the past. So that was kind of cool. Now, I guess it does sort of make sense because this will be sort of at the tail end of, if not during this whole carnage event that they're going to have going on. Um, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. The last thing I wanted to mention was the new X-Men stuff that's going to be coming out. And as a lot of people know, I'm not a huge X-Men fan in terms of I just follow them religiously no matter what. But I thought it was interesting that ever since they announced that Hickman was going to be doing House of X and Powers of X, that they basically, you know, they canceled the entire X line. Um, they let Hickman do his thing with the X-Men and kind of rein it all back in and pull it in. And then they're going to kind of relaunch the X-Men with a bunch of other little titles. So there's X-Men number one, and there's going to be Marauders number one, and New Mutants number one, and Fallen Angels number one, and X-Force number one. There's also going to be the only one I'm going to get, assuming that there's nothing in like, because I will be getting Hickman's House of X and Powers of X to sort of see what he's going to do. If his storylines intrigues me and maybe one of these teams is doing something interesting I want to follow, maybe I'll follow them. But based on characters alone... Excalibur! Yeah, that's right. Excalibur <laughs> number one. Uh, writer Teeny Howard and artist Marcus Toe joined forces to shape a new day. Mutant kind has always been special, as has their relationship with the world or worlds around them. Can the new Captain Britain forge a new way through the chaos with her companions Rogue, Gambit, Jubilee, Richter, and Apocalypse? Uh, obviously, we know why I'm following this, Gambit and Rogue. Um, the addition of Jubilee in there just makes it a little bit more 90s for me. I have no uh, attachment or knowledge of Richter. Um, the new Captain Britain, I never really had much of attachment to the old one, so maybe that'll kind of give me you know, uh, an in on there. The other wrinkle I like in this is the apocalypse idea, because wasn't, um, wasn't Gambit at one point one of the horsemen for apocalypse I think in the I, 90s i think everyone was for the horse for the well, apocalypse. i know what you mean but i'm just kidding yeah. you because the hulk was one too um uh, mm -hmm. to me now this, i know why it appeals to you when it when you see apocalypse there there's just reeks of justice league odyssey to me <laughs> because of dark Side. it does it does, I mean, it does. Like, come on it has to yeah. it just has to uh, and I, and especially I, when you throw in the as has the relationship with the world or worlds. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, oh, he's going to be fighting alongside of us until he becomes a bad guy, which will shock no one since he's always been a bad guy. Uh, so it would be cool if they kind of do like what they if they kind of do a little Thanos like with him, where Thanos had walked. Thanos has been everything in comic books. He's been a bad guy. He's been a good guy. He's been in between. So if they did something to at least make him kind of almost like an anti-hero more than a, that, I could deal with that at least for now. But if we had to bet money, it's going to be a setup for him just to turn bad maybe after a year. <laughs> so uh, just to throw out this for the other people, uh, and I know, Mark, you're, you're a fan of some of the X-Men as well. Um, the Marauders will feature Katie, uh, Kitty Pride, Emma Frost, uh, Storm, Pyro, Bishop, and Iceman. Uh, let's see. 
New Mutants will be Sunspot, Wolfsbane, Mirage, Karma, Magic, and Cypher. Uh, Fallen Angels will be, let's see, Psylocke, Cable, X-23, and X-Force will be Beast, Jean Grey, Sage, Wolverine, Kid Omega, and Domino. And let's see, I, I skipped X-Men. Um, uh, it says Cyclops in his hand-picked squad. So from the from the image, oh god, I, don't, I, I recognize Wolverine. I recognize is that Jean Grey. I recognize is that the Multiple Man. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Oh, oh, there's. I don't know. Is that Squirrel Girl in just like a cool suit? Uh, no, which know. cover? Which which cover is this? We looking at X Men number one. That's the one that was on the top, right? Was that the top? Should be on the top yeah, okay, above all, Excalibur. All the down. Uh, it, I'm not sure if that's Squirrel Girl. It might. I don't know. Is that supposed to be Madrox? What you what you say when the one in the background? Yeah, I, the one be. in the background. Who's the one with the, the the big all the circles and art stuff around him? Gotta be Havoc. Oh, Havoc. Okay, there you go. Yep. All right. Yeah, it's gotta be Havoc. Okay. And with the Star Jammer guys on the left, right? I guess. Yeah. Not again, but just thought I'd bring it up for those of you who are uh, curious about what was there because there are a lot of people who are sort of turned off by um, the idea of Hickman taking over X uh, the X titles. And kind of condensing it down into House and Powers of X, uh, and you know, canceling those other series because a lot of people, for instance, I, like I, I really enjoyed X Men Red, um, and stuff like that. Uh, so if, if you kind of went away from that and you were like, oh, I want my X titles back, well, well, here you go. Here's a few of them. So if you're any, interested in any of these teams, I definitely follow up. Outside of Excalibur, I think I might be most interested in Marauders. Because it almost gives me a um, uh, an amazing X Men vibe. When I was following Amazing X Men at the beginning, when Firestar was a part of it, and they were you know kind of uh, quote unquote rescuing Night a Nightcrawler from Heaven, that sort of thing. I really did enjoy that. There was a sort of swashbuckling uh, angle to that series for a while that I really enjoyed. So Marauders almost seems like it's sort of picking up, picking up on that feel. So if I were to get anything other than Excalibur, again, it depends on how Hickman's uh, series turns out, you know, how these various teams are formed and what their various plots are going to be. But based on, based on lineup and, and these sort of quasi solicits really only Excalibur and maybe Marauders for me. Not sure I could deal with Pyro being a good guy. Yeah, that's a hard sell. Pyro's some characters are just so inherently one side or the other, and Pyro's always been Pyro's always been a bad guy. Uh, as far as from all my X Men experience, so that's that would be a harder one to. It's not like when they first introduced Rogue, when Rogue was a bad guy, but Rogue kind of always was had a, 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 that streak in her. No pun intended. That was torn. That she, you know, she she wasn't really committed to being really, really bad, and the worst things got, and the worst things that people did around her, she was, and she was able to see the big picture better than other people, because I still remember, 
I still remember when there was a sister, really the, essentially the sisterhood of evil mutants, and they were teamed up with, in ROM, they were teamed up with Hybrid, which was the dire race human uh, hybrid, that, which really, I guess, was ROM technically the closest thing ROM ever got to a singular arch-villain. And Rogue was one of the first ones that figured out that you know that they were back they were back on the wrong side. This guy might be a mutant, but he's not. But we really should be helping the other guy take care of this. <laughs> uh, and then she kissed him, which was a whole other ball of wax because that because that just kind of like short, not literally short circuit him, but it but it gave Rom feelings he didn't really want to. have. <laughs> well, that story for another day. Which actually that we kind of it is X Men related and Rogue related, so maybe we, that's something we should we could visit one day. That that. That that's a pretty cool crossover, but I would say, and I, I, Kitty Pride I always liked, and Lockheed being there is kind of a kind of a nice touch. Um, that's a pretty decent team, other than Emma Frost, who again I had, I I don't care about whatsoever. To me, she's still too much of a bad bad guy to to really care. But again, yeah, I, it, it, I'd be curious about what they do with her because it almost seems like lately Emma Frost and Cyclops go hand in hand. Yes. You, like you have to play with that relationship. So if you're going to remove her from that equation and kind of put her on her own here, what are you going to do with her? That's that's going to further the character in some way other than keeping you know coming back again and again to the whole Cyclops thing. I I would agree. The funny thing is when I, when I first saw all these titles, well actually let me let me actually say this in proper order. Normally, if I had not done what I had done earlier today, which was look at which was, I think I will mention later on this, this the, just because it's so interesting, the DC solicits for 2019, I mean for October 2019, only Green Lantern I would mention. But as I'm scrolling down the list trying to get to where Green Lantern is going to show up, it's like, my God, there, there's way too many Batman books, <laughs> way yeah. too many Batman books, and the sad part is obviously they sell well enough as a whole that they keep publishing them, but my god, DC publishes too many Batman books. And because if I had not done that, I would just have looked at all those X-Men titles and go, oh my god, Marvel publishes way too many X-Men books, which they kind of do, and they've been doing for the most part for like the last 20, 25 years, but my god, compared to Batman, it's like it's like the equivalent of us having our one lonely Green Lantern book. Well, at least through issue twelve. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> but yeah, I. It's just shock. It just blew my mind. I was like, my God, could bat? I mean, there. I just don't get it. I mean, it really bat. I guess it. I guess it. It sells for them, but there, there's not a whole lot of diversity. If you take out the Batman books and, <laughs> and the Superman books, you you ain't got shit. Pretty much, DC's putting out. <laughs> for uh, sure. Um, that wraps the comic talk for me. Uh, we've been, we've been at this for over half an hour, so obviously we got more out of it than I thought. I, I definitely appreciate the discussion we got, especially out of the Danny Dio stuff, because I think leading off of that was a good idea. It's definitely relevant to, I mean, not just DC, but, you know, including Green Lantern sort of ties into the way we ended the last episode. So was there anything else comics related that you wanted to get out there, whether it be indie publisher, Marvel, DC, anything else like that before we move on to the, uh, the next bit of uh, section of stuff we wanted to go through? No, I think I'm good to move on. All right. What's next? Uh, CW, which is another thing in your wheelhouse. That's right. Uh, so CW had a couple of trailers. Sizzle reels, stuff like that. Really, the only trailer, trailer content you could talk about would be uh, Flash, Arrow, and uh, Supergirl. Um, there was talk uh, with the cast and various 
uh, panels and stuff surrounding, say, Black Lightning uh, Season 3, the next season of Legends of Tomorrow. Um, there was the Batwoman stuff. Uh, I sort of, I'm, I'm sort of leaving Batwoman out of this, uh, not to uh, slight the Batwoman series or anything, but a lot of the Batwoman footage and stuff came out well before Comic-Con, so there's not a lot of new stuff to talk about there. Granted, we haven't talked about it much on the show to begin with, so if you want to talk about it, we can. If there's anything that caught, caught your eye in terms of the uh, the Batwoman footage we've, we've seen in recent weeks... Um, but in terms of SDCC proper, uh, the Arrow uh, trailer showed, uh, and there was it was mostly because Arrow is coming to an end next season. I think they're only doing what ten episodes. I think that's about. Uh, yeah, a lot of what you see in uh, this Arrow trailer is just recap, uh, just this sort of uh, emotional sort of the road uh, to the end sort of a thing that you got. There's maybe 20, 30 seconds of just this, uh, of just flashes of what's happening uh, in, in these 10 episodes. Not a lot of real substance to talk about. I mean, if you, if you want, you could talk about uh, the fact that it looks like Tommy is there, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, uh, Laurel has a new look and haircut as black canary. Um, for those of you following the Arrow series, this is not Laurel as we know her. This is Black Siren from Earth 2, who is quote-unquote replaced Laurel um, as the DA and as Black Canary. Um, she's kind of on this journey from villain to heroine. Um, and uh, and all of this, if you, I mean, you could find some stuff to break down if you wanted to. I think that obviously the only real interesting part thus far in terms of Arrow, is that it's ending and that, you know, this seems like it's going to be the death of Oliver Queen in this crisis event, which is nothing new in terms of San Diego stuff. Um, so then uh, from there you move on to uh, Supergirl. Supergirl's interesting to me. A lot of people either A, enjoy it, or B, complain about it because they feel it's too preachy. Did you watch the trailer for Supergirl? I will openly admit, no, I did not watch that one. Okay, the trailer for Supergirl, there are, a lot of people feel that Supergirl can get too preachy um, sometimes, and at times I sort of agree, not uh, not in a butthurt, um, you know, uh, sort of way, but just sort of in a, uh, it's a little on the nose, uh, a little more on the nose than I would uh, would expect. But at the same time, you know, I kind of step that back and think about it for a minute, and I'm just like, well... If if any sort of series is going to be preachy and, and talk about like so for instance the the main thing here uh, and you you know you'll have to watch the trailer to understand how they do this but they're they're the kind of the 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 villain uh, the season or, or, or the um, the moral villain not the actual villain this season is how. Uh, nobody pays attention to things anymore, and we're all buried in our technology and stuff like that. How they make that a a problem for Supergirl to tackle and all this stuff in the modern era—that's you know, just watch the trailer if you're curious. But it, you know, the fact that people don't 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 pay attention to the world around them and and all these things. The idea that if someone's going to deal with that, the fact that it's that it would be a a, a an L makes sense to me because if Superman, if Supergirl are supposed is supposed to stand for hope and, and all these, these, these good things and these good ideals really then 
they should also be dealing not just with villains, but with ideals as well, both positive and negative. So that sort of makes sense to me. I'm not going to blame um, Supergirl uh, and criticize it for being preachy the way some others would. But I did feel... The, you know, the minute I started watching it, I feel, oh, we're going to get a lot of complaints from people about this one, too. Um, not for me, but there will be, I'm sure there will be a bunch of uh, it's being preachy again, sort of a, uh, complaints from those who want to to uh, take down the uh, Supergirl uh, series of peg new costume. Have you seen at least that that she's wearing yes. pants yeah. su- a full body suit? Um, I think it looks cool. My my problem isn't the suit. The bangs look weird to me, but, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm a dude who's been single for over a decade, so <laughs> what do I know about women's hairstyles? <laughs> Who cares? And, plus, and plus, you'll bang anything at this point, but I'm bummed. <laughs> um, Sorry, I think I, No worries. I think, I think the big thing here to talk about is The Flash. Um, the Flash trailer seems to have the most actual content in it in terms of what's to come. Did you see The Flash trailer? Well, of course I did, Chad. <laughs> All righty. Well, um... Should we play the audio? Yes. It's gonna, you going to play it or you want me to play it? Uh, you go ahead and play it there. All right. You ready? Yeah. Go for it. My name is Dr. Ramsey Rosa. And for the last decade, I've spent my life dedicated to a single cause, helping others fight the diseases that plague humanity. But not anymore. And it's all because of them. You see, there are many cancers in this world, and they all wear different faces. Some are doctors, like me. Some of them seek out the truth, regardless of the consequences. Others mock the very science they worship. We just ran out of time. But the most dangerous ones are those who call themselves heroes. They claim to fight for the things that matter in life. Truth, family, law, order. And most of all, for life itself. Hang on! I got you! What the hell? Why is it every time I come to visit, there's always a crisis? But it's all a lie. Because in the end, there's only one battle. One thing to fight against. An eternal enemy who must be eliminated forever. That's death itself. Are we under attack? The scientifically impossible probably will happen. I don't need to understand them. Just tell me what I can do. No one has to die ever again. that i mean you you don't watch uh, as much as the the entirety of the the cw verse as i do so but you do pay attention to the flash so what do, what do you think about uh, all that seems to be different from a from a threat perspective it seems like at least giving credit where credit's due they seem to be doing a little they seem to be doing a little bit different even though obviously we had a another actually technically we had more than one speedster even in last season but they have been trying to spread the wealth around as far as the big bads not just being speedsters. So I kind of I do like 
at least on the surface, that they continue to do that. I also like from based on everything we know about the season that it's supposed to pick up like pretty almost immediately after they lost Nora. So you mm-hmm. get so that the impact of that is not they don't gloss over it by six months later we begin our story. We pick up. So I do like I do like that fact. Obviously Cisco is going to begin it for us the season for some, at some for some part of it. He's not, he's not gone immediately. Though he is supposed to be gone this season. Um, it's interesting. I it does make me wonder how much longer the Flash has to uh, as far as. Most people, I think, still like the Flash per capita more than they like where Arrow is overall over the last few years. But I don't. I still don't know if it's something that. And my the, the the repetition of how of of the characters I think might might be getting to the point of diminishing returns. But I'm I'm interested. I I liked last season. I did like last season. I know a lot of people didn't like. Nora and a lot of people thought Nora ruined the season and yes if it was if Jessica Parker Kennedy wasn't so damn cute and, and likable then even her, the fact that her character was so friggin annoying probably would have bothered me more but I'm but I mean I'm willing to I'm gonna start the season and, and we'll see if it we'll see if it grabs me yeah I mean I'm in um I do love that actor um forgive me I forget his name but he played um uh, he played Mohinder in Heroes. Um, I always thought uh, he did very well in that series. He's one of the, the the better, more compelling individuals I thought in Heroes. Um, I felt during even even uh, even though I was younger, I felt in during Heroes a lot of the actors in that series, uh, their their uh, portrayals seemed either. You know, you can tell they were acting. It seemed wooden or whatever. I thought the guy who played Mohinder did a very good job. Um, let's see, Mohinder actor, what's his name? Sendhill uh, Rama Murthy. And obviously, I'm probably saying that wrong, but he does he does great stuff. I actually, you know, I'm a huge. Some of the some some people may know if you've listened to the show a long long time. I'm a I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm not a big fan of crime dramas, but there's one I will rewatch over and over and over again, which is Numbers. Uh, and there was an episode of Numbers where he showed up in, and I recognized them immediately. Um, but anyways, so this uh, this villain uh, is called Bloodwork. And he's actually a new villain. And by new, I mean DC Rebirth new, um, which is interesting because one of the things I was uh, a bit put off by at the end of uh, Supergirl's season uh, was the fact that they said Leviathan is coming, which is a big event, obviously, that's happening right now in DC. So they're obviously, you know, mining a lot of the recent stuff for stuff for for content. But I guess as as long as the adaptation works, then I guess who cares, you know, when slash where it comes from. And don't, for, uh, and don't forget they had Godspeed last season too. Not that they did, not that they did a hell of a lot with him, but but Godspeed technically, which is another rebirth rebirth era villain for for flash well one of the things they also mentioned uh, about this season is that uh it's going to be split into i want to say half but also sort of thirds um the first main half or mostly of the first third is going to be the the whole stuff uh with blood work then of course we're going to be dovetailing into the crisis and then the the, I guess the kind of follow up to the crisis and, and, and the after effects of it. And then the second half of the season or second or third third of the season is going to 
be involving primarily a different villain, um, which they haven't announced yet. Uh, a lot of people obviously were assuming Reverse Flash, given the way last season ended, but we honestly don't know. But in terms of uh, blood work, um, uh, just from Comic Vine, because I, I, you know I'm not familiar with the character, so I looked it up. Uh, Ramsey Rosso was a scientist that has hemophilia because he couldn't risk himself. He tried to find a cure, so Ramsey tried to change blood so instead of helping humans age, it would preserve them and make them un, uh, invulnerable and immortal. After injecting himself with the new blood that he had created, Ramsey gained invulnerability and the, the, and the ability to control blood, a secret he would keep for years on end. So it looks like... Um, his first appearance was the Flash number twenty nine. Um, I'm guessing that's uh, yeah, that's 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 Rebirth, the Flash twenty nine, uh, and then uh, issue number thirty starts blood work. Issue number thirty, man, was published in November of twenty seventeen. So yeah, and blood work had a two issue cross. It, it had two issues. Issue 30, 31, He first appeared in twenty nine. He appeared again, I guess, in issue 38 and again in issue 61. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, man, five, five issues of The Flash, essentially. And, uh, and all of a sudden he's in, uh, he's in the, the, the TV show. That's, that's interesting. It is interesting. <clears throat> On the one hand, it's like okay, we're not we're not as we're not going to be as chained to the to the source material. We can kind of have fun with this, you know. Hey, this was a cool concept. We could really do something with this, but all we have are, are, are to work with are, are on bare bones, so we're good. Uh, so, I mean, I guess it just depends on where they go from here. Um, not a lot of stuff out about Crisis, uh, although they did talk about a bit about you know some of the people who are going to be appearing. The big announcement, of course, that Brandon Routh will be uh, reprising his role as Superman, and in and he will be the Kingdom Come Superman. Well, I think there's conflicting reports about whether that's actually going to be the case. Mm. Okay, well, that's what I saw, but at the very least, he will be reprising his role as Superman. And Burt Ward's going to be in it. We just don't know if he's going to be Robin. Yeah. Um, Linda Carter supposedly is going to be in it. I'm really hoping for some Tom Welling, uh, Michael oh, Rosenbaum yes, Tom action. Oh, well, yeah, Tom Welling actually is. That's that's, that's another one. Tom Welling is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. He is supposed to be. So, um, so I mean, Crisis is going to be cool. I did mention over on Twitter, though, and I'll say it here because this uh, kind of garnered uh, some conversation. Over on Twitter, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, some people agreed with me. I mean, a lot of people agreed with me, but um, let me see here. I just wanted to make sure I, 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 I quoted myself accurately here. <laughs> I said, I say, uh, Be- I said, Barry Allen and Oliver Queen are Hal Jordan's two closest friends. If Ollie is done during the CW's crisis event and Hal doesn't make an appearance as Green Lantern, then I'm calling it. GL will never appear in the CW verse. So, nah, yeah, uh, <laughs> said, uh, someone responded uh, and said, it's crazy because the Green Lantern universe is so vast and has reached every corner of the DC universe. It's annoying they're being left out, maybe because CGI would be too expensive for TV. And I said, they spent money on having a giant CGI demon fight a giant CGI alt-universe blue Furby. It's not too expensive. They're avoiding it. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there was obviously there's you know we're 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 coming at the end of the CW news here. We just talked about the, the comics in general. Clearly, guys, there's no news about Green Lantern. It's out of San Diego. And uh, it's just sort of furthering the idea that DC is trying to distance themselves as much as possible from the character right now. So the fact that they have this huge crisis event and are, are making all these announcements about various other characters showing up. But, you know, this seems like the perfect platform to sort of be like, oh, and uh, some guy with an emerald ring is coming up. Whether they want to bring in Hal or they want to do the thing where they're going to, you know, uh, placate to some of the fans who are who. And I personally don't like the theory, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have a lot of traction and, and fans out there. The idea that John Diggle is John Stewart Diggle, you know, they did play with that in this most recent crossover when um, Flash from the other universe came over and said, "Hey, John, where's your ring?" You know, that sort of a thing. Regardless whether they do John Stewart or Hal Jordan, if they don't do Green Lantern in the Crisis event the biggest crossover they've ever done, then if they don't do Green Lantern there, they're, they're just, I, I, I kind of feel like they're never going to do it. So. I probably, I would tend to agree. Yeah. All right. Anything about Crisis or any of the CW shows? No, it was, I, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Crisis on Infinite Earths. I, last year's, crossover actually was I thought was pretty decent and I usually don't watch them so obviously this is a little the stakes are a little higher for this one so we'll have to um, see how that how they pull that off one thing I forgot to mention I don't know if you saw I, I read somewhere that uh, Tom Cavanaugh who plays obviously all the, the various versions of Wells and stuff he will also be playing uh, Pariah yes I read that too so that's kind of cool. We'll see how that. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense, right? Because it wasn't the origin of Pariah that he was a scientist who, like Corona, pushed himself too far. I think that is correct. I mean, you take the idea of it being a Wells. I mean, all we ever knew of Pariah was that he was Pariah. I don't think we did. We ever get Pariah's real name in the comics? I'm looking now to see if we did. Uh, yeah, Kel Massa. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's not something that was such a big big deal that they can't change it for this. So, I mean, just really the idea that you have to play with is that if you're going to stick with the actual origin of Priya, he's his origin is much like Cronus. So, you know, just mad scientist pushes his experiment past the boundaries he knows he shouldn't and out of his own id and ego and uh you know obviously in, in crisis it was a bit of a different thing but essentially he believes he's the one who starts the white wall of energy in the red skies and all this stuff that destroys the universe and it's his fault so uh you know depending on where they actually go with this crisis i guess we'll see but uh the idea that that a wells could be pariah is you know interesting so what else we got so, well, mo- moving into the general stuff now, I suppose the general TV and movie stuff. Before we wrap it up with the uh, the big, the the probably well probably be the lengthiest segment I would suspect, even though we did we got a lot of the comics segment. So just general movie stuff. A lot of most of this stuff actually doesn't intrigue Chad as much as it intrigues me. But obviously we got more. We had the, they had a Terminator panel, and I saw some of the footage. It didn't. 
change my opinion all that much one way or the other. In fact, but the most interesting thing about the Terminator news, and it just came out casually in, in Jim Cameron's little presentation, was that Eddie Furlong, who of course played John Con- John Connor in T2, is going to be back playing John Connor in this movie. Since Eddie Furlong's had a lot of personal issues, <clears throat> we haven't seen, and he really hasn't done much on the acting front lately. That that's kind of that was kind of a you can actually hear like the visible you know gasp in the audience are like whoa that was kind of surprising. <clears throat> Technically, this was before. Comic-Con, but Halloween, we got the official confirmation that, yes, they are doing two Halloween sequels, Halloween, as I went completely blank, Halloween Kills and Halloween Returns, which will be coming out in back-to-back years, not that ridiculous rumor that they were going to be coming back, being released in the same month, you know, which made no sense whatsoever, and Jamie Lee Curtis has at least signed on, I think, for both, uh, both McBride and uh, David Gordon Green are supposed to be back doing to do those. So that that's what I found interesting. Did you actually watch the Top Gun trailer? Um, yes and no. I watched it without audio just be, because right? of the, the situation at the time. So I, I, I did see it. I didn't hear it or anything like that. Another problem here is it's not that I've never seen Top Gun. It's I may as well have not seen it because I, I saw it so boat. long ago. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I was... I mean, Top Gun is a. I mean, that, it really is a super cheesy movie, as far as as far as I'm concerned. Um, <clears throat> that being said, visually it was a nice. It was very well done. Those mm-hmm. flying scenes were pretty pretty impressive. I mean, the one thing one can never take away from Tom Cruise is he literally pushes the envelope. It may be the death of him one day <laughs> filming a movie, but he certainly doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't play games. So. That definitely was a very, I think, from a nostalgic perspective, that probably got a little bit of interest in the fact that he showed up, and I don't think any of that was, ex- any of that uh, was expected. I think that was, I think that was pretty neat. Uh, Cats, obviously, they showed the trailer for Cats, and that got a really, 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 really mixed reaction. Seems like a lot of people are not happy with the, with the CGI, making them, they kind of look a little too human. Which I thought was interesting. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I didn't watch it. I have no attachment to Cats. Not much of a musical person to begin with, um, in terms of actual musicals. Um, but yeah, I, I did see some stills of it, and that's all I need to see. <laughs> but based on based on where we are, I kind of expected some people to start protesting because they were denying they were taking roles away from deserving feline actors who should have gotten those roles. <laughs> I was kind of expecting that. That's a movie called Cats, and you're, doing, and you're hiring humans over cats? Get the lawyers! Uh, the, I thought, let's see, uh, did you, they watch, I watched The Watchmen, but um bum trailer, the second trailer, which, I, which it still intrigues me a little. I have no idea how much I'm going to, I, I have no idea what that show is going to be about. But, yeah, I haven't seen the new footage. I saw the original footage when they first released the the the, the first teaser or whatever of it. But I, I haven't seen this new stuff yet. I mean, it adds a little more, a little, it adds a little more, let's say, intrigue to it. But again, there's so much we don't know, other than the fact that clearly this takes place after everything that happened with Adrian and Doctor Manhattan and. Even though you actually kind of get glimpses of Doctor Manhattan supposedly on Mars, I think very very small in this in that trailer. So I thought that was I wanted to mention that. Uh, 
The Game of Thrones panel was just interesting just because Benioff and Weiss decided not to show up. <laughs> whether that whether they really had a reason not to show up because they're so they're so hard at work on their you know, doing the preliminary work on the Star Wars trilogy, or because they knew they were gonna catch holy hell from the fans for season eight. Either way, it's not a good look. Just like Ruby Rose for whatever reason not going to the bat you know, not being there for the Batwoman stuff. Probably not a good, but Dan, I think Benioff and Weiss are going to catch more hell because they actually are the creators. So the panel didn't, it did seem that it was a little, the Game of Thrones seemed, seemed kind of seemed a little contentious on some level. Not, not nasty, but it just seemed like, you know, people were clearly not happy with, with what happened, which doesn't surprise us. Um, <clears throat> before we get into, from my perspective, uh, to wrap this up, I wanted to mention, since we talked about this last show, the idea that I, I like I told you, I did as soon as as soon as I got the email, the little pop up from Entertainment Earth, I made sure I pre-ordered my Jaws eating Quint. <laughs> yeah, you oh, also got, you said you got the man. Yeah, thing I, I, it, that I felt I honestly. Thought I was channeling my inner Bokelman on that one because it wasn't complete. It was a pure impulse buy. I mean, it looks cool. The pop does look really cool. Yeah, see, I really did want it. The problem with it, I think, is first of all, I've never liked the bobbleheads, and I'm not sure I was willing to roll the dice on a front-facing spring bobblehead. Like maybe it would end up getting bent and tip dip too low or something like that, and. I don't. I don't know. I, I just. I, I. I. do want it because I do want like a swamp thing pop and a man thing pop. Just having the swamp creatures, the designs of those pops look really cool. It is comic accurate, and I did say I'm going to be collecting the comic accurate stuff. So I'm. I, I probably should have bought it so that I don't have to pay ridiculous upcharge prices later on. In terms of what was already out and what I was actually going for. I, I, don't know, I just decided to pass it up, but I was surprised when you said you you picked it up. It, like I said, it was it was an impulse buy. And mind you, Chad, it is still available on Entertainment Earth for pre-order. It is not sold. Yeah, no. pre-order. 15, 15 bucks. It, it is. Yeah, it's it, it's an odd it's an odd design because of the way the head the way they have the head attached. I I probably well, who knows if I if I end up regretting it when I get it, then you'll then you then it's and it's yours anyway. But. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have even gotten the Quint one because it was friggin' forty bucks. But it is an awesome pop. And those oversized pops are nuts. No, they're not cheap, and especially because it's an ex- you know it's an exclusive. So yeah. But as soon as I saw it, it's like since we had talked about it, I had I had no choice in my mind that I wanted to get it. And the last thing toy related is I the Star Wars Black Series stuff from Hasbro that they displayed, including the. Uh, the Black Series, the, the new, new Hyper Real Series, which is just another way to get people to spend like 80 bucks for a, a mm-hmm. you know, figure. The Luke does look good. I would never spend that much on a, on a regular action figure. I don't care if it's six inches or not. It's, it's That's nuts. But the Boba Fett electronic helmet, the wearable helmet for Boba Fett fans, which I am not. But if you were a Boba Fett fan, probably I would bet some people for 120 bucks will, will be uh, plunking down money to get the Boba Fett helmet. Because it does look good. <laughs> Cool. Sorry. That's speaking cool. of speaking of Luke Skywalker, did you see that they announced some uh, more uh, uh, pop icons? 
Oh, the Mark Hamill ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's 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 two uh, two that I'm aware of. Mark Hamill just in like civilian gear, um, and then there's one of the same head but on a Joker outfit, which yeah, I think I looks did. really freaking cool. Yeah, I did. I did see those. Yeah, I kind of I kind of want a Mark Hamill pop now. That looks really cool. Uh, because I mean, when you think the Joker, I just I I hear that voice anytime I read the Joker, and that's just I mean, so iconic. I love Batman the animated series. It was such a pivotal part of my childhood. It's just like, yeah, to, to me, I mean, yeah, as much as as much as Mark Hamill is is Luke and always will be, uh, primarily, I mean, a very 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 close second is Mark Hamill as the Joker. That would make sense. I I completely agree with that. So anything else right. for you, from the general, or should we roll into the MCU? I think that's it. I tried to find some toy news to see some stuff. Uh, maybe trying to find some photos, but just in terms of the amount of time I had to try and research and pull information, I just didn't have enough. I did see that a lot of um, people were very impressed with like sideshow and hot toys uh, this year, and I saw some of the things. You know, there there was a um, uh, who who's doing Spider Punk? Is it sideshow? I believe so. I think okay, so. Okay, so Sideshow had a glass case where they have a bunch of different spider pe- Spider-Men in 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 all, all their 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 Sideshow collectibles. Spider-Men, kind of you know in a in a kind of pillar. You know, you walk around the case and you can see all of them. And one of them was Spider-Punk, and and I'm just like, man, the more I see it, <laughs> the more I'm just like, oh, I want to spend money on it. But man, kind of kind of like you. Uh, with uh, with that cat man, it's just do I want to spend that much money on what's essentially going to sit a toy slash? I mean, let's face it, you can say it's an action figure. It's essentially a statue. You can pose it, yes, but once you get that perfect pose, are you really going to mess with it that much? So it's essentially a. Are you going to spend that much on a statue that's just going to sit there? <laughs> no, I I and I still I still am wrestling with. Hey man, me too with Spider Punk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking right at the Legends figure, and I think that's enough. And I've got my Spider Punk pop figure, and I think that's enough. But like, God, does that that sideshow collectible Spider Punk look awesome? <laughs> I know it's cheaper than Cap too. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, However, oh, see, see, this might make you, this might make you feel better though, that it's. The one on being sold on Sideshow, uh, the hot, uh, the six scale by Hot Toys, it's it's you can't pre-order it anymore. You'd have to join the wait list. Oh jeez. Because it's supposed to be coming out like in the next like two months, August to September. So that's the reason yeah. why. So um, and or maybe they didn't maybe they didn't have that they didn't allow that many pre-orders for this. At least Cap is Cap is still available because and part of the reason might be because he's not supposed to ship until uh he's not even supposed. To, between April and June next year. Oh, but he he is still available, so I I probably should make up my mind. But yeah, that's a lot of friggin' money to waste, quote unquote waste on something that's just going to be sitting there. Yeah. Especially with shipping, it's going to be over three hundred dollars, you know, with shipping. So. Yeah, and I still haven't bought myself a Green Lantern power battery prop, so like. <laughs> that's <laughs> priorities, <true>. Chad. <laughs> um. All right. So, uh, man, we've been recording for. An hour and a half now, I so know, longer uh, than we thought. Hey, two episodes. Okay, let's let's do the TV. Let's do the TV shows first, and let's leave the movies to the end. Uh, for yeah. for the MCU. Um, Agents of Shield. Might as well just yeah. You go ahead. You go. You go with Agents of Shield first. 
Um, I don't have much to say, mostly because I'm not caught up on the current season. Haven't seen a single episode of the current season. They showed a sort of uh, sizzle reel or, or trailer for the remaining episodes of this season. I did not watch it because, again, I'm not caught up on the current season, and I don't want to spoil myself for whatever may be uh, spoiled uh, about the current season in in this uh, trailer for the remaining episodes. Um uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will be ending with Season 7. As of San Diego Comic-Con, they had actually just filmed or were filming the final episode of Season 7. So that's how far ahead they are, actually, already uh, in terms of content. So Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., in terms of the actors and the production staff and all that stuff, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is officially over. Um, But it will be, in in terms of content, it will be ending after Season 7. So that sucks. Uh, it, it's been on the way. It's been on the upswing for quite a while. A lot of people thought it would be over uh, with uh, with uh, season five or whatever. And then they renewed for season six. And before season six even came out, they greenlit season seven. And people were like, holy shit, uh, Agents has gone from the first episode. Just everybody, you know, the first season, everybody just sort of reviled to just being on this constant upswing to the point where we're green lighting seasons before we even see the, the season that comes before it. Like that's, that's awesome. Um, but unfortunately, yes, it will be ending. Uh, I mean, if, if you really, if you're really thinking about it, you know, they did cancel all those, uh, Netflix shows and they got Disney plus coming. So it, it, it was kind of a foregone conclusion that this was going to happen in some way, shape or form. It makes me wonder what's going to happen to runaways and stuff like that, or cloak and dagger. Um, I haven't seen either of those shows, but I hear good things. It's just, you know, they're on these different platforms. So what are they going to do with those? Are they going to continue? Are they going to cancel? Are they just going to move to Disney plus? So are they going to stay where they are? Um, but yeah, Agents of Shield is is coming to an end, which makes sense because in a way, even though they didn't tie into, they didn't tie into the Avengers all that much anymore, and even the day to day stuff that was going on with Shield since early on in the, in that show's run, it makes sense that that would kind of go the way of the dinosaur as well as a lot of the other stuff through fate that was existing in the MCU through three phases. So I guess that kind of does make a little bit of sense that at least it would. Kind of like exit stage left. Yeah. So let's talk about the new shows. Uh, and we're going to talk about this panel as a whole. One of the, to me, one of the big negatives of this panel was as far as projects, official projects that were announced that had dates and everything else, there wasn't really anything that came out in San Diego that we didn't already know was coming. Uh, and all the TV shows that they announced were shows that we already had known they were doing. They put a little. They gave us a little more of a time frame from them, clearly, because they, you know, for Disney Plus. But nothing was that surprising. Some details we got were a little interesting, and that's and that's been the main reason we're talking about uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier that we knew was coming. That's going to be the first uh, Disney Plus show. Most interesting thing there is that that yes, Falcon, I guess, is going to be taking on a Captain America identity, and that Baron Zemo is going to be back as the villain. Which we knew, we kind of knew Zemo would be back at some point. Yeah. Uh, so that was interesting. WandaVision, which I believe is the second show coming out. The most, in, two most interesting things, or three, I guess, about that show is that it takes place post Infinity War, as opposed to a lot of people thinking, oh, it might take place between Civil War and Infinity War. No, this takes place after everything we saw in Infinity War, and thus almost an Endgame. 
So it's going to, but yet the vision is somehow either alive or alive in Wanda's mind. We don't know one way or the other. So that's just interesting upon itself that it's not a prequel. That pretty much none of the TV shows are prequels, which is important. And that Monica Rambo, that we last saw as a child in uh, Captain Marvel, will be all grown up and playing a role in the indie Wanda Vision show, which probably sets the stage for her arrival in the in the movies at some point. Loki, which is going to be the end game escape with the Tesseract alternate timeline. Loki, who's still a bad guy. That show is that, so that we're going to get that show. We're going to get the Hawkeye show, and we're going to get the What If animated series, which is the biggest thing I think that brings to the table is the fact that besides they can do whatever stories they want, they are they are going to retain the MCU voice actors for their roles. So whenever they so whatever story they're going to be doing, at least for the foreseeable future, they're going to be getting the actual at least let's say the first season at least for sure they're going to be having the uh, MCU actors play their respective characters. So did any so what did you think of the TV show Slate? Um you know I was intrigued by it and uh, I want to know more but at the same time I've already been considering signing up for the DC Universe app, the the DC Universe online uh stuff just because of the sheer amount of content and you know, uh, they did just come out with uh, Shazam on Blu-ray, and the same day they came out with Shazam on Blu-ray, Titans Season 1 on Blu-ray came out. I picked that up, too. You guys know I'm obsessed. I have to have the hard copies um, on the shelf of, of these various comic series. You know, I, I, that's kind of uh, my thing. You know, like, for instance, the the I just, you know, I moved into this new apartment. I just set up my, my Blu-ray um shelf on the wall mounted it the other day and opened up the box that had all my blu-rays in it and started putting them on the shelf and i took the time to actually you know not only put the mcu in chrono in order of release but also try and look up where each season of agents of shields fit in so that i could make sure that you know i i put in season one where roughly it should go and season two where it should go and, and stuff like that um so even though i will be getting uh, Doom Patrol season one on Blu-ray and, and Swamp Thing on Blu-ray and you know they they announced uh, at Comic Con actually that they'll they'll be doing uh, they 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 had remastered Batman the Animated Series uh, last year or the year before and released that on Blu-ray they're remastering uh, Batman Beyond um, so I'll be getting that as well it actually comes with an exclusive pop so you know you know double jeopardy for me um, but uh, you know. There's so much cool stuff on that DC Universe app. I've already been contemplating it. So when when do I want to see this stuff? Of course, but it means getting Disney Plus, and I don't know if I can do multiple streaming services. I know end of the day they only cost X amount of bucks per per month or whatever. It's not really that expensive when you come to think of it, but it's it's. Man, I, I just don't know. Because it's on a streaming service that I'll have to pay for, I just – some of my enthusiasm for it wanes because part of me – I don't know. Maybe part of me is walling off and setting up expectations to go, well, you may not see this. So don't get too hyped. Uh, and, and and maybe that's what's happening, but I, I don't know. Am, am I curious – if I'm curious about anything over any one of these uh, – uh, in terms of one of these specific ones, obviously Loki would probably be number one. But 
surprisingly, the 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 Falcon Winter Soldier one is actually number one for me in terms of curiosity. So um, very, uh, I, I would love to see where these things go, but I think part of me is setting expectations in my back in the back of my mind. I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that, barring anything unforeseen, I'm going to be getting Disney Plus. Uh, it might be. I don't think I'll be getting rid of Netflix immediately, but it's going to be harder to justify keeping Netflix if they're. And I understand they're between a rock and a hard place. But if everybody wants to have their own streaming services, by you know by you know by default, that's going to limit the amount of non-original content that they can they can stream. Uh, new content from new, re- new movies that have been relatively recent movies. It's, it's going to be harder and harder to get first r- relative, you know, former first run movies that had just been released in the last year or so and get them on the platform because everybody's going to want to stick them on the, each studio is going to want to stick their own movies on their own platform. So if we go from feast to famine, having one, you know, having 8,000 places to go stream or just having a couple, so I won't be dumping Netflix right away, but it's going to be harder to justify it if all they can, and because there, while there are some good shows on Netflix, I do like watching movies. I don't like having to binge watch everything or be able to have to watch episode after episode of stuff. Plus, their series tend to be relatively short in episodes, many of them, and then you got to wait forever to get another season. So, which of course, even with cable, we know that depending on the show, you have to do that too. But Disney Plus, it just seems like at some point it's a no-brainer. Besides the catalog of stuff, they're gonna, you know they're going to have they're going to get they're going to have the Fox stuff. They're going to have at some point they're going to have all the Star Wars movies, all the Marvel movies, you know, all you know, as much Disney, you know, as much Disney content as they want, along with all these shows. And especially since the WandaVision show is supposed to lead directly into Doctor Strange, it it, it would be hard not. And plus, in a way, they're smart on one level because they're kind of feeding us, and we're going to talk about this in a second, what we're not getting for the most part in the movies is what we're going to be getting on the the TV show plot uh, streaming with uh, Disney Plus. It's giving us information regarding what characters we already know and care about telling us what happened to them after Endgame. And that's what we didn't. I mean, the Loki stuff. I could care. I mean, I can't say I couldn't care less because Loki's always intriguing. But it's not even our Loki. And yes, whether that Loki is going to end up on a journey, which is going to kind of lead him towards it, the redemptive moment that our Loki got. Who knows? I seriously doubt it would happen in one season. I mean, it depends if these shows are destined to only have be one one and done, or they plan on actually having several seasons, which they might very well be. They may very well do, considering their movie slate and how far out they go, which we'll talk about too, not besides what they announced, that it's going to be a long time probably before we're going to see a lot of these characters back on the screen again other than Scarlet Witch, maybe except for a cameo here and there in full action. It may be a while. So I'm intrigued, and I I think it just adds more reason to get Disney+. Plus. But eventually, yes, people are going to have to make a decision. I mean, for you, if if the, if the Warner Brothers thing is if the WB platform is more important, I get it. For some people, Netflix will be more important. And I'm gung ho. I like Netflix. I'm not gung ho to get rid of it, but they they're going to be at a crossroads, which is, and we'll we can talk about that later. Uh, anything else about the shows before we get to the? Nah, not not right now. No. Well, as we roll into the movies, we should say congratulations to Endgame. They fi- for finally be- going past Avatar. True. They su- 
That was a little surprise. They must have. I still didn't break down the numbers over the weekend. I'm assuming they must have got a bigger surge overseas because they were still like five million dollars away heading into the weekend. And it's doubtful that made it. It was. I think it made like around five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars last week weekend domestically. So it certainly didn't get that money domestically unless Disney was buying tickets. So it must have been a surge from from the overseas market that pushed it over. But that's good. I didn't think it was going to happen now. I thought they were going to come up a little short, but it's good that even though they technically had to re-release a movie, it was not your traditional re-release. So they, it never truly left the theater at any, any time, and they were able to get over the hump. So that's cool. I'm glad that was that. that's good for them. So now we get into the big the big uh, Marvel panel highlights, which they did an intro. It was kind of a odd choice from my perspective how they kept alternating between TV shows and movies but I guess based on what their short term goal is versus long term it made sense because they wanted to prop up Disney Plus because Feige made it clear afterwards that they definitely have a, they basically have a five year plan as we know they, there's a three year release schedule they only announced two years worth of movies but there are eight movie dates locked in they only announced five but supposedly he has five there's, they have plans at least five years out so they yeah, they did. They did. They did mention Guardians Three, uh, Captain Marvel Black, Two, Black yeah, Panther Black Panther Two, two and yeah. Blade. Blade, yeah. Which is so those, and we'll talk about that in a second. Where where some of these are probably going to fit in based on the three movies dates that we still have left, and and again, Spider Man Three. Spider Man Three has to fit in there somewhere in the near future too, because you can't kick Spider Man down the road too long. But that's just. But they have. Five year, five year plan, and, and then there's only three years of release date. So that would, you would assume there's probably at least six more movies that will fix, that will finish out phase five that we don't know about. But what we do know, what they announced, you know, the worst, you know, like the worst kept secret in Hollywood, the Black Widow will be your May first release in 2020. The Eternals 11 six, uh, 20. That would be the second release. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is to me mostly intriguing because it will bring in the real Mandarin and ties into stuff we already seen elements of in Iron Man and Iron Man 2, which supposedly hints, I believe, up in other movies. The movie I'm most interested in is 5721, which is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which will which will have Nightmare as the villain. It's supposed to be a horror movie, essentially, and will co-star Scarlet Witch, Elizabeth Olsen, along with Doctor Strange. And then, knew it. Good. Yeah, I just going to say I, I knew it. The Scarlet the, I have said a couple of times I, I Scarlet Witch has to train with Doctor Strange. Like for for such a long time her power set has just been just sort of just this natural slash nebulous unexplained thing. It's time for her to become the witch. So I I I you know it, it I was uh, I'm, I'm glad they're doing it now instead of kicking that can down the road. And it makes sense, and it's good. It is it is interesting that from a live continuity, as in you know, a character, an Avenger being live, that with in you know with seeing a story in current continuity, is it's possible if we don't get cameos in other movies that Wanda might actually be the first Avenger we actually see in Phase Four live in current continuity, not not in a flashback, not in a, in a you know not in a a prequel. That it could be it could be interesting that because it's kind of hard to imagine there being an Avenger in uh, the Eternals and it's, and Shang Chi I guess it's possible 
but I think it's harder to see it happening in, in the in the Eternals. And then last but not least, the Thor, which is kind of interesting unto itself. If we were talking about this a month ago and somebody asked us whether Thor was going to be in Phase Four or not, we might we might not have been so we might have been and maybe. But if somebody said, "Oh, Thor's," do you think Thor's going to be released in the next two years? I think we both would have said, "No way." That Thor, yeah. Thor definitely was. But before Comic Con even started, we knew that that was a done deal. But Taika Waititi back to write and write this time, let alone end direct. Uh, Thor 4. Then, then the announcement of Thor 4 actually made its way in. It's, it's no, the November uh, but 21 release. That is not really that surprising, especially because it, it was kind of confirmed also after the fact by James Gunn. Not just that Thor 4 will take place before Guardians 3, but Guardians 3 was pushed out of Phase 4 because of the his work on the Suicide Squad and those delays. So, basically, we got five movies, again, none of which were a surprise. We knew pretty much all of these movies were coming. Thor, up until the other, up until like a week ago, might have been a surprise that it was this, that was coming this soon. But either way, none of these, pro- we all knew heading into Comic-Con, all these projects were coming. Uh, we also knew, you know, there wasn't really, they didn't give us any real surprise casting news about Black Widow. The Eternals, we had heard about almost all of that casting ahead of time to Richard Madden, uh, Rob Stark there from Game of Thrones. We heard heard about Salma Hayek, Angela Jul- Angelina Jolie at least had been heavily rumored. I don't th- I don't think it was officially ag- announced, but she was heavily rumored to be in the Eternals. So none of that was a, I don't think any of that was a surprise. It was a surprise for Thor that Natalie Portman was back. Because of the fact that she, she supposedly has made it clear that she wasn't thrilled with her role in Thor and Thor 2. But now that you realize that she, how she had a pretty large presence in like some of the Endgame presentation, uh, premieres and and events, that I guess it made sense that, she, that that probably was the reason why she was being kind of like she was back on center stage. Now, talking about Thor... Or do we maybe before I monopolize? Where do you want to? Where do you want to begin? Which movie would you like to talk about first? Love and Thunder. I I'm excited for it, man. Like I read the Jason Aaron stuff. I was very uh, I was very curious about you know female Thor um, and uh, Jane Foster's kind of story there. Uh, I think it was kind of like the 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 worst kept secret that that it was uh, Jane Foster all along. Um, uh, for a while there, but you know, I, you know, Jane, Fo- I'd be curious, are they going to go the cancer route? Is, does, does Jane Foster have cancer and, you know, is, is, uh, is that part of this story or not? I, I don't know. Uh, we'll see how much of the actual Jason Aaron story, um, uh, happens. It's cool that Valkyrie's involved in this. Um, that's, that's really cool, uh, and exciting as well. The the um, what's interesting is actually this week. Um, so you guys will I don't I don't know. Are we releasing this early? So we can as long as we get it. Yeah, everything like Wednesday or so. Yeah, because it gives mo- gives us more time to get to make sure the timestamps and everything are done before uh, before we roll it out too. Okay, so let's say this hits Wednesday, guys. As assuming you're listening to this the day it hits, as you hear this, the first issue of the the new Valkyrie series from Marvel just came out. Um, and that follows Jane Foster as a Valkyrie, um, because uh, you know at, 
spoilers at the end of the Jason Aaron series, um, you know, um, uh, Jane Foster dies from finally, finally dies from, uh, her battle with cancer. Um, so, uh, and, and now she's in the afterlife and she's now a Valkyrie leading people into Valhalla and the various, uh, other realms after death and stuff like that. So I'll actually be picking that up out of curiosity. So where they go, go with that. So, um, my problem in all of this equation is not that they're going to do the Jason Aaron Thor. It's not that Valkyrie's heavily involved. It's not that it's called Love and Thunder. It's it, it, none of the stuff. My problem is that I just don't buy Natalie Portman as Jane Foster. Um, granted, other than Thor one, we haven't had quite enough um, time with her to really flesh her out because the focus in Thor one, the most, that was the most time you had with her for the most part, you could say dark world maybe, but she's in dark world. She's more to just sort of a human reacting to Asgard, uh, as opposed to her own agency. So, uh, in terms of, in terms of own agency, the most you see of her is in the first Thor movie, but obviously the priority there is setting up Thor in the MCU, not her. So just by, fault of happenstance you just don't have too much to go off of with uh or too much for natalie to kind of dig her teeth into and it's not that natalie portman isn't a fantastic actress and and able to to kind of uh really embody and and uh make some characters really compelling and stuff it's just that so far natalie portman as jane foster i i I haven't seen it yet uh i'm excited to see it but since you haven't given it to me yet, you can't make me excited about it. So, and the other thing I'll add is that the 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 logo for Thor: Love and Love and Thunder makes it look like you know I'm in a dimly lit arcade and I turn the corner and there's an old '80s arcade game staring me in the face and backlit is Thor: Love and Thunder. <laughs> I just got to put in my 25 cents to play. <laughs> yeah, it does look like a video game. Uh, so. I think I'm with a again. I don't know if it's the majority or not. I think I'm with sort of a sizable percentage of. I went from being really enthused about Thor four, but we heard like about a week or so ago when that became official that there was there was we were we were getting that, to having my a lot of my enthusiasm sucked out by knowing that they were doing at least some version. Now again, they, we don't know how they're going to adapt it, but the idea of the Thor. Jane is Thor. That I did not. I have really no interest in that, and it just seems like. And I, I conceptually don't have. I have an issue with the idea of Thor being a legacy or a title as as opposed to a person. I just don't buy that. I just don't think that works. Well, it's not a hammer. Well, not really. It just possess. They say it possesses the power. You can possess the power of Thor. I mean, but Thor is a Thor is a character. It's like Thor in mythology was a character. He, that was his name. It wasn't a title. It was who he was. So the idea of just because just because you can you can wield the power and have the power of Thor doesn't mean you're really Thor. Like Cap wasn't Thor. He just had the power of Thor. Yeah, but the problem there is 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 it, Jane. It's there. There have been multiple the the characters. What Thunderstrike? Um, ha, you know, he, he had the mantle. There's, there's the, I mean, you could say a throg, but like the, um, beta Ray bill, you know, when, when he was, 
in Thor mode, a lot of people referred to him as Thor and not, not beta, um, or Ray or Bill or whatever. Um, you know, there, 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 there are several examples in Marvel history, not just this, this recent Jason Aaron female Thor Jane Foster run of people picking up the hammer and being referred to as Thor when they transform. I know, but this was, but obviously the the current era is when they really tried to revamp that a little bit more. There's always been stuff. I remember when they did the when the Red Norval thing being Thor because of the idea when when Odin was trying to save really save Thor uh, from from Ragnarok and him having to die. That basically he created he, he allowed Red Norval to be Thor, so he would be the one who would end up getting what killed by the Medgard serpent and things of that nature. I understand from a comic book perspective, it's not 100% new, but it does, it kind of follows the line of, of the more recent trends, which is, you know, the Spencer Captain America and the superior Spider-Man and things like that, where it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's just not what I really want, want to see. And Thor should be, you know, Thor should be Thor. Chris Hemsworth should be Thor, and that should be the focal point. Now, we don't know how they're going to do it, so hopefully it's going to be a temporary spiel in that movie, and by the end, you know, Hemsworth is, you know, there's only one Thor again, and it's, and it's, but that's, but the idea they were going that route kind of sucked, kind of sucked the enthusiasm from that, a little bit, not entirely, but a little bit of that project, for that project out of me. So my interest in that movie dropped dropped a lot uh i don't have any interest in the eternals whatsoever that's going to have to sell me on that's going to be visual and we're going to have to see something that draws me in but the eternals as most people don't know who the hell the eternals are uh even a lot of comic book fans really don't know who the hell in the big picture don't know much about the eternals so that's well kevin kevin feige said uh on on stage uh it is straight jack kirby so that that so far has been the kind of oft-quoted uh, thing in ter- involving Eternals that has uh, that people who are excited are excited for when when he said straight Jack Kirby and and that's also probably yet another way to try to cock block DC from doing the New Gods which was which doesn't matter anyway because no as a big picture people don't like the New Gods that's a horrible decision as a project for them for DC to do the New Gods well thing- yeah but. If, if if the coin if the if the two sides of the coin are new gods or eternals, who's more popular? <laughs> oh yes, you 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 are you are correct that they both that they, you're both taking relatively obscure groups of godlike beings, but with, with Kirby on them, and you are correct. Given the choice of the lesser of the two evils, the eternals are the better way to go. That being said, it's still it's still a relatively obscure group, and. DC is just more – they're just showing you that they're aimless because the new gods on a good day are not overly popular. And they can – they bring – we've seen this over and over again. That's a, It's like bringing back which, – which they're going to do again, right? It's like the Legion of Superheroes is coming back, right? They're bringing it back again? Are they not yes. bringing it back again? We, that's going to have an incredibly short shelf life too because they're not overly popular. So it, it's – they can just keep doing this till the cows come home, but eventually – I mean you – Unless you get the um, the lightning in the bottle of the right of the right approach with the right creative team, and even that might not last forever. But the reality is, yeah, the new gods are a horrible. That's a horrible, and that combination of what what King and what's her face who did uh uh your movie uh Wrinkle in Time, 
That's just mm. not a that's that's a risky combination too. But well, yeah, but Tom Tom King just won an Eisner for for uh, the Mister Miracle series. That's right, but a lot of people don't like the crap that Tom King writes, especially Heroes in Crisis and and his, and the own and and the his own personal baggage that he tend that he tends to uh, that he uh, tends to bring to stuff. But either I mean I'm not saying that why DC why WB would want to bring him in. I'm just saying that. It's a really weird project from a character from focusing on those characters, but but back to the Eternals. The Eternals is going to be a hard sell. Jim and I were talking about this. Shang Chi may be guaranteed to do huge money because of the Chinese box office. Domestically, that's a risky project. They may frame it nicely where it works, but that's not a slam dunk domestically. And if you look at the and if you look at the first three movies they release in this phase, Black Widow is going to be successful because it's Black Widow, and you're going to have some nostalgia from the Avengers and and interest and everything else. But Black Widow, if if I had to bet money, what Black Widow was going to be, certainly domestically, box office wise, I'd say it's going to be closer to Ant Man and the Wasp than it's going to be Captain Marvel. I don't see Black Widow being you know a huge you know, seven hundred, eight, whatever, whatever Captain Marvel did domestically, so something real, a huge number domestically, and it being a billion-dollar movie overall. I don't see that with Black Widow. I don't see she has that kind of draw. But she'll, but that movie will make money because it's Black Widow, which is why it's a May release because Marvel is very picky about their May releases. They've had ten May releases and ten counting the two uh, Infinity Avenger movies, which were supposed to be May releases, and were both moved up. Yet all three, all three Iron Man movies were May. All four Avengers movies were supposed to be May. You had uh, Guardians 2. You had Thor. And you had Civil War. So they didn't release anything in May that they weren't confident about as a property. So you knew they weren't going to release the Eternals in May, because that was, or even Shang Chi, because it made no sense. Black Widow was was just why Doctor Strange, based on what was available, they could have released Thor probably, Thor four in May, if they wanted to in 2021 from a box office perspective. But you knew Black, but Black Widow would do fine. But if you look at having the Eternals and Shang Chi back to back, I would go out on the limb and say that's the riskiest one-two punch from a scheduling point, scheduling. Uh, perspective they've ever had, having that have because I don't think they've ever put two risky projects back to back, and yet they have them back to back, and yet again Shang Chi probably won't cost a crap load of money and, it, and it'll probably guarantee to make like friggin' four hundred million dollars just because of the Chinese box office, but still domestically you can't say that movie's guaranteed to be a slam dunk major major hit, you don't know. Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange, and Thor are the, are the ones I think are the safest, are the ones that are most likely to do big bucks. And Thor is probably the one at the moment that's most likely to do the biggest. But none, of, but only Doctor Strange excites me for these projects. I mean, and like we talked about before, the whole, the whole, what was the whole point of being so secretive about this if they weren't going to give us anything that we didn't already know? That having, having, you know, having the reveal. Having the reveal of well, Mahershala Ali as Blade, which that was a curveball, but it was, but it was a, like a 70-80% curveball, not 100% based on timing, but only like a 70% curveball overall because we know they've been talking about Blade because there were talks about even Wesley Snipes coming back to be Blade. 
because we knew they had the property back. It's it's intriguing bringing Blade back in because that because op- if you're bringing Blade in, obviously you're going to have vampires, and that obviously opens the door for werewolves and uh, the whole monster side of the Marvel cinema of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But they but they purpose they 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 only gave us they only gave us movies that we already knew. They only gave us two years worth of movies. Even though I guess that was an internal debate in Marvel about whether they should announce all of Phase Five because they do have five years down the road, but they only gave us two. There are three years. There, there's three movies they've released dates for that, that they have not matched up yet. You have February 2022, which is almost guaranteed, in my opinion, to be Black Panther. They're going to want to release that in February again, Black History Month. You have May 2022, which, barring something unforeseen. Will be Guardians because Guardians is a slam dunk, and they don't want to push Guardians back too much further. I mean, it's going to be five years now between Guardians movies. They get a break a little bit because the Guardians were so heavily featured in Infinity War, but it's five years. Just like Doctor Strange is going to be close to five years. That's going to be a few months short of five years, as hard as as it is to believe since the original. And then you have a end of July, July 29th, 2022 movie. And if I had to bet based on what they're likely to stick there, I would say that's probably going to be Blade, because I think they want I think they would want to have a bigger profile release window for Captain Marvel, and I don't think they want and it's a little late for Spider Man because Spider Man would be the beginning of July, and I don't think they were going to dump the Fantastic Four in July either. So I would say Blade, in my opinion, Blade is probably going to be the July 2022 release, and then Captain Marvel. Will be in 2023. Fantastic Four will probably be in 2023, probably. And then whenever they decide to roll out the X Men, but it was interesting. We, you know, we talked about you know how some of these. We always talk about how some of these articles how they misrepresent things, and I kind of went I kind of went off on movie web, and that's kind of why I'm, when I made that point about heaven forbid you have a different opinion or something, even though you follow, it's because I. Yes, I still get I still get movie webs updates and stuff on Facebook and everything, but it doesn't mean that I can't think call bullshit when I see something bullshit. So the headline right after Comic Con was they uh, the, uh, com, comic like uh, Marvel announces Phase Four or uh, or they I forget how they phrased it. They either said Phase Four first or they said Fantastic Four, X Men, uh, Guardians Three, and then they said Phase Four. But they tied them all together. Where of course, if you just read the headline, you would think all those movies were going to be in Phase Four. It's like not only are not in Phase Four, none of them have release dates. That's the, saying the Fantastic Four is coming was not a friggin' announcement. We know the Fantastic Four is coming. They didn't reacquire these properties to never do anything with them. That was a non-non-announcement. Blade was a little bit more of a non-non-announcement because at least we realized, oh, Blade is being fast-tracked, and there's a reasonable expectation we're going to see that probably within the next couple of years. Fantastic Four, we knew we were getting, and they even said originally, oh, you're probably not going to see it between like something like around, like, around maybe like four to five years, which is probably going to be accurate. Unless, of course, the Eternals or Shang-Chi horribly tank, and then they may change their priorities and try to get something, something a little more mainstream out. But I was disappointed by that panel. I thought, I thought there wasn't anything of, re- I thought there was nothing of relevance. That certainly not to keep be so as secretive as they were. For as long as they were, especially about the Black Widow crap, which we knew they were making because they were filming it. Why play games? That that's the only that's 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 the stuff that kept annoying me. And then once we had the actual panels, like, okay, there wasn't. I mean, there was very little to get super excited about because we knew all this pretty much. We knew ninety eight percent of what they told us. 
I agree with you on that. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying I'm not excited. It's just that, you know, um, I, 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 I'm, I, I like the idea. I like, I like the idea of a Shang-Chi movie. I mean, I, I know it's an unknown quantity or whatever, but, uh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm sort of stoked for that. Um, like I said, I'm cool with Love and Thunder. The idea that, uh, I mean, I, I said it a while back, I wanted uh, Scarlet Witch to be training with Doctor Strange in the first place. Now that we're getting it, it's obvious I'm going to be psyched for that. Um, plus, you build in the fact that people seem to be more excited about Doctor Strange following um, Infinity, War. Yep. Infinity War and Endgame that um, it'll probably help bump that. So, I mean, for, for me personally the only real unknown quantity is uh, is is the eternals but uh, man i mean this is a comic-con that involved both tom cruise and angelina jolie like these are these are huge names and you, you put angelina jolie and i mean some hayek uh and, and, I, and, I, love some, and stuff. I, I mean this some, is i love me some so, Salma hayek sorry <laughs> so 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 the i mean the cast of eternals is massive uh i mean i'm not just talking about in terms of uh, of the amount of people, but the amount of 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 clout that is behind it is 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 pr- pretty huge. So uh, to me, that that belies some sort of uh, extreme faith that this is where they need to go next. Um, so I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Law law of averages says that at some point we're going to get a turd, and uh, you can we can keep saying that it's going to be oh it's going to be this one or it's going to be this one, but for now, I haven't seen a turd, so I'm not going to call the next one uh, a turd. So right now, uh, if they're going to put this much clout behind uh, Eternals and, you know, if it's this much clout, they're going to spend this much money on that clout, then uh, then I, I guess uh, I'll have to have faith in Eternals. So I, I give them I will give them credit for clearly they have a plan. And even before they announce they have a five year plan that they clearly have a plan. And going in this direction, they feel this is the right move for them. I think it is risk, and, and you give them credit because, well, because they're doing this, and it's clearly risky to do do the approach that they're doing, because clearly on the surface, the the movies that we're getting early on are not going to be as interconnected by choice as a, as phase one through three were. And not every part of all those, and not every movie was internet connected to the next, but they eventually all connected. Which, which by by the way, these are still supposed to in some way because because he has Feige did talk about that you know, they basically do have the plan for what you know for the next Avengers and acknowledging what we kind of already know that when we see them again, it's going to be an, it's going to be a much different looking team. But that being said, in on the surface, there's a lot less connective tissue. And plus, they are leaving, and this is why I think they're doing what they're doing with the shows. They are leaving us with a lot of the characters we've already come to care about. They're kind of leaving them high and dry. And it doesn't mean we're not going to. I mean, just because we have this movie or that movie, it doesn't mean we're not. I mean, we know the Hulk's kink is not going to get his own solo movie, so the Hulk can show up in another project. Doesn't mean Ant Man can show up in another project because Ant Man's another movie that, if you're looking at, wasn't announced. Ant Man really, you'd have to think that Paul Rudd is kind of might very well be right or it's going to be a long time coming when he said he didn't think they were going to probably get a Ant-Man 3 that you look at all the projects they have swirling about that don't even have release dates when you have Captain Marvel you got Spider-Man 3 you have you have Guardians 3 you have Black Panther you have Fantastic Four that's already five movies and they can only release three in 2022 
So Black Panther, I mean, it's uh, Ant-Man, you're looking at Ant-Man, realistically speaking, there's there's no reason to think that Ant-Man's going to be coming out anywhere be, before uh, like 2024, probably, if they're going to do that. You know, like uh, if, if he's getting his own movie as opposed to co-starring in something. So they have they they make they're making a decision. They're making a decision to because Endgame slash Endgame and obviously Spider-Man: Far From Home was an ending, and they're and they're branching out. But they're also in the process potentially alienating people because they're leaving they're leaving behind a lot of characters that we've grown to have a lot of a lot of invested in, and they're. And they're going in a direction which is risky because they're going with a, they're going with at least two B tier movies, and based on recognition factor. Now, if if Black Widow comes out and Black Widow kicks real ass at the box office, which and does like Captain Marvel like money, then they got a lot of they then 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 the Eternals is probably safe because no matter what, people are going to go see they're going to just go into the next Marvel movie. Now, she could get a bump. She could get a little of Avengers bump. Uh, I mean, you can make, you certainly can make a case Spider-Man got an, an Avengers bump, but that's also because Spider-Man was so directly tied to it. But because of what happened with Natasha and Endgame, you could end up getting a bump because of you know because of the ties, the emotional ties to her. We'll see what happens, but the Eternals is going to be a challenge. Going to be challenging. In a way, I think that one's the most challenging. I think that's going to be. I think the trailers are really going to have to sell that movie. And I agree with you. Their track record is good. They've they have dodged some. They have dodged some bullets so far on projects that, on the surface, seem like there's no way this is this can be a big hit. You know, the original Guardians. I'm not going to say Ant Man because Ant Man was not. He's not overly known, but Ant Man was not as obscure as Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, but Captain Marvel had a lot of pushback with her because of because of Brie Larson. So, but but so far they've been able they've been able to dodge bullets. Eventually they're not going to dodge everything just because, as you said, law of averages. It just can't happen. Eventually they're going to have a turd, and it may not even be because the movie's bad. It's just going to be because the movie doesn't appeal to people. The more obscure you dig, you increase you increase the odds. Uh, even Blade. I mean. Do you, I can't. I mean, I see Blade being successful, but I don't see Blade being like a. I can't see Blade being a five hundred million dollar domestic movie. I have a hard time imagining that. Uh, so, I don't know. It's it. There's. I still think I'm still not as enthused about this phase. Only Doctor Strange really excites me. Thor is. I'm less excited than I was, but I'm still interested. Then I would then I would say it's Black Widow, Shang Chi, and then the Eternals. The Eternals is the one I have the least interest in. But we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna find out. And I don't know. It's 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 certainly gonna be going to be quite a challenge to see if they if they pull this off. But if they do pull this off, forget about it, man. Besides the fact that their that you know their egos are gonna go through a roof. It's gonna be they're they're gonna be untouchable for a long time because it's like. It's like literally, we'll do Squirrel Girl next. Seven hundred million dollars, <laughs> and it's a real squirrel wearing a dress. Seven hundred million dollars, but it is what it is. All right. Uh, anything else? Knowing us, probably, but I don't. 
I don't have any any notes written down, so let's just work. Let's just work on the assumption that no, the the, the answer is there isn't anything else. All right, you want to tell people how they can reach us? Yes, lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. We are on iTunes and Stitcher, so whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. On Facebook and Twitter, hashtag GILCast. You can locate us on either of those using that hashtag. And last but not least, 708 Lantern is the voicemail. 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.